friends, Chris Sauter, lead pastor at Neighborhood Church. We work hard at creating content every week that is life-giving and inspiring for people to live a full life. So we're inviting people who find this stream to be life-giving and encouraging to consider becoming a sustaining member at Neighborhood Church. That could be a one-time gift or to subscribe monthly. And you can do that at neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Thank you, friends, and enjoy the message. Um, I want to say hi to one of my favorite people in the whole world, Ada, Ada Underwood. She uh, told her mom this morning, Liz, and uh, she goes, I can't wait to see what Chris is wearing. Oh, Ada, I am wearing my flowered shirt that I found in the basement. I haven't worn since uh, uh, summer. So, well, actually, I'm going to stand. I don't want to sit. So, I am talking today on this lovely, lovely word called salvation. Right? And maybe, uh, like Steve, when I said I was talking about salvation, what word did you use? Uh, trigger? No, <laughs> trigger. <laughs> it might be a trigger for some of you, all right? He, he, Steve said, say about the blood, right? <laughs> There's this idea, this word in evangelicalism, and maybe even spirituality, um, of salvation, getting saved, being born again, which comes from John 3, uh, verse 3. Um, and it, it, it carries with it some beauty, and it carries with it some awkwardness and confusion. Like, if you would have asked me uh, five, six years ago, Chris, when did you get saved? I would have said, um, when I was, what, six years old, my mom um, said this, the prayer of salvation, that her the sinner's prayer, um, when I was six, on the floor of my bedroom in the basement. And I've had, I've had multiple concussions. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny, but I have. Um, I've had multiple concussions, and I, but I still remember that moment. And in that moment, I can still feel that wonder that I felt even as a six-year-old. It felt um, this love. It felt inspiring. It felt warm. It felt very like I was included, like I belonged to something. Um, and that's not something you can just manufacture. It meant a lot to me. And so then I, um, as a good little kid, I want other people to feel that and also throw in um, the, someone taught me about heaven and hell and I didn't want my friends to go to heaven with me. So I'd have sleepovers and at the middle of the night I would talk to them and a couple of them I would say this, the sinner's salvation prayer, whatever you want to call it, with them. Um, and that was beautiful. Then I found this youth group, right? And our, our name of our youth group was called... Um, Cross current, because we're going against culture, the current, we're going this way, the current's going this way. <laughs> I loved, I loved the youth group. Then I, I learned about um, evangelizing people and how we should do that. And so from little kid to like awkward teenager, I wanted my friends to not go to hell. I wanted them to go to heaven. And so I, I would, but I didn't want to be like the Jesus freak. I wanted to sing the song Jesus freak by... DC Talk, which was like kind of like um, Kurt Cobain, rest yeah. in peace, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Like a Jesus version of Nirvana, <laughs> and um, uh, but but I didn't want to like like be the the Bible thumper as well. So I had this weird thing of like I want people to get saved, right? I'm using that word, um, 
but really in a way, I didn't know how to go through it. Um, one of my friends, we showed him the, the play, um, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Slam that like button if you know what I'm talking about. I don't know if that, I, I think the play's still going on. I think it still happens. But the concept is of um, if you were to die right now, do you know where you'd spend eternity, right? And that's, you'd sit there and they'd go through a series of events of one was a car crash and where these two kids, kids, teenagers, get in a car crash and then the angels come and grab one and they bring him to heaven and saying, it's so all nice music. And once he, this kid's off to heaven, then out come these demons and Satan. And they're all, it's like, it's like Nine Inch Nails, industrial, like scary music, right? <laughs> like what makes you look, look around and they start screaming and then they have like flames come and they drag the kid down to hell, right? The play worked. My friend at the end of it was scared out of his mind. But even then, and he said that prayer, and even then, I remember having several really life-giving conversations um, with, with them about it. And, but he got to say the prayer, right? It probably trauma, it traumatized me, and I was already a Christian, right? And then I went, to, then I went, to, I went to Bible college. And in Bible college, uh, someone just wrote completely terrifying, yes, I agree. Um, I went to Bible college where they taught me um, tactics and tricks and ways to get people like how to play music and how to phrase words and how to have a nice cadence to get people to say this prayer then i was involved in a religious um system that um i was really good at getting people to say that prayer i was really good right um and uh in that system was a part of we didn't just celebrate people um getting saved, right? We did. We absolutely celebrated, but we celebrated even more how many would get saved, which is this, which is this weird tension of that we celebrate more of the whole number. And even in that religious system, um, we were known uh, around the United States of how many people said that prayer, how many people stood up um, during our Christmas service, how many people took a salvation packet. Um, and I started having um, this rumbling inside of me when I started to think of in a span of years, literally, we had thousands of people um, say that prayer. Somehow identified that they got saved. Thousands of people. And we planted a church where we implemented those same things. We had these salvation packets and um, we had these cards. And um, we had hundreds of people in the span of three years surrender their life to Jesus. So say the salvation prayer. And there was beautiful moments in there. Absolutely transformation happened in the lives of people. But I started thinking of like, if we had thousands of people in our area, in the, the system I worked before, in the church that we planted, like I started looking around like, why do we still have the same issues to the same degree that we have in our neighborhoods, in our schools? Why is it that we still don't talk about racism? Why, don't, why are people still having a hard time finding just like access to like healthcare? <laughs> why are so many more people hungry? Why, why is like patriarchy and sexism, why, why, it's not even being discussed. Why do I not see the transformation that should come with thousands of people declaring Jesus is Lord? And I remember we'd have these cards and I'd look over them and I had hundreds of them, I'd save them. And I had someone, Nita, did it actually, thank you, Bernita Jane. She would um, put them by month and by year and I'd pull them out um, and pray over them. And they'd have their names in the back um, they checked the box and they'd write like what they want prayer for. And a majority of those, I mean, a lot of those cards came from, um, uh, from a recovery center in Cloquet. And those women 
man, they would come and they'd sign that box that says, I am a new creation. Because they're, they're walking through, they're in hell already, right? And so they come to a place of saying, you belong and there's love. They check those boxes, they'd come up and they'd hug us and we got to pray for them. It was so beautiful. But then there's all these other cards of names of people I've never seen anymore. And it's not the point. It feels like it at times, or it did, to get people saved just to get you to church. I know that's not the point. Sometimes institutions can feel that way. But it really just, it, it just brought up the whole idea, what is salvation? Because the idea, as I was taught, you get what you investigate. And what I began to investigate was we were really, really, really good at getting people to say a prayer. Is salvation just a prayer? Is salvation just a, a, a series of words that lead you to raise your hand and check a box? Is that what like Paul is getting at? And where do we even get this idea of the sinner's prayer? I can tell you, get it from the Bible, right? Um, we're going to read it, Romans chapter 10. What I want to like, discuss a little bit is what is salvation? Is it limited to a prayer? And what if we're saying we're getting saved, what are we getting saved from? Are we being saved from something? Oh, you're going to love This is a great discussion. All right, so Romans chapter 10, starting in verse, I believe, 5, right? Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? That is a powerful, powerful verse. And what Paul is doing, it's actually great. Like, if, if you're like really into a band, like I'm really into, you know, Wilco, they re-released an album um, called Summer Teeth, and where they take a song, and then they do like deep dives, where they do alternate versions, maybe they um, share some like recordings they had, share some live ones. And if you didn't know the original song, you wouldn't be able to appreciate the complexity or the uniqueness of what they just adjust a little bit, right? Paul's doing this. Paul is mimicking um, doing a deep cut on Deuteronomy um, 27, 28, 29, and especially 30, right? Because they would have understood this argument of coming down or coming down and, and looking up. And he, he, goes, um, he goes like verse by verse in um, cha chapter 30, because this is what it is. Um, in 28, 29, Moses is talking to um, the people of God, right? And they're about to go um, to this promised land. And he's saying, hey, and if we don't obey these commands, we don't follow these things, it's not going to be really good. I'm giving you the shortened version. But then it goes into chapter 30. And if you've never read it, it's been a long time for me. I highly encourage you to read it. Because it paints that, that, beautiful, that beautiful picture of the God that we love, right? It's all about this grace. It's all about mercy. It's all about um, this God will go after you. If you go to a foreign land, you're under this tree, you're in this land. God will not wait for you to come back, but God will bring you back with him because you belong. And they would, they would talk and discuss, when do we get into a chapter 30 kind of life? 
They've been waiting for generations and generations and generations. What do we have to do? What Moses says is that you have to follow the commands, right? But then you have to believe in your hearts. And it's then that you'll have this Deuteronomy kind of of life. You're going to have this covenant with God that we see in the life of Abraham. What Paul is doing by going in the same order, he is speaking to that, that, that verse, that knowledge that they had and saying, and it's right in front of you. Salvation, you can be saved. If you what? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Remember, we talked about this last week. This was not a very common statement that they would have always used walking around like, well, of course, I mean, Jesus, this is like maybe Paul was writing this 60, 70 years after Jesus died, right? This is not something that the Hebrew people would have been around chanting, right? Clearly. Actually, what he uses for, he's referencing Joel when he says Lord, and, and Joel uses Lord as Yahweh, so by saying Jesus is Lord, A, it's a political statement, right? He's in Rome, and people would have said Caesar is Lord. And so what he's saying is our allegiance is no longer to how um, Rome, how Caesar orders this world, how he orders the value of people and who's in or who's out. We are surrendering to this Yahweh, to this Lord, to Jesus. And in Jesus, we see this God. It's this beautiful political statement of saying we're putting our hope in this. Then he goes and references the heart that Moses talked about, right? That God talked about in Deuteronomy 30. And that is this, in, <laughs> another trigger warning, right? He uses the word in Deuteronomy 30 of having a circumcision of your heart, <laughs> right? And really, it's a, it's a weird kind of concept, but it's a beautiful concept because circumcision was this way of identifying, of identifying in your body, on your body, in your person of this covenant. And so then God is saying, you're gonna have it in your heart. It is this mystical thing. How do you like, how do you um, surrender the idea that Jesus resurrected from the dead in your heart? It is this mystical, wonderful, I like the word magical, supernatural act, right? It's the spirit of God that awakens us to the beauty that Jesus is Lord. He says, if you do that, you get saved. But again, saved from what? Right? Because what, what Deuteronomy 30 tells us is it's all about this covenant. And what we often think of salvation, what we often think about friendships, what we often think about our colleagues is very contract, right? Contract means um, if party A does what party A is supposed to do and party B does what party B is supposed to do, then party A will um, do what it's signed up to do. But if party B breaks that contract and all responsibility of party A is now released, this is how we think about salvation, right? Uh, I have to say the right words. I have to do the right things. Then God mm, lets me in and saves me from what? Most people would say from hell. Nobody beats the devils, right? Like you get saved from hell and I get into heaven. So salvation is tied to being saved from something so I can be included into something at some point in some place somewhere, Right? That's how a lot of people think of salvation. But what, what really Deuteronomy 30 is about a covenant points back to Abraham. And a covenant says party A will do what party A is supposed to do no matter what party B does or does not do. This is like contract. Love is how some people can view marriage, how we view friendships, how we view um, our generosity. I'll be generous to you as long as you say thank you. Right? I'll hold the door open for you as long as you look in the eyes and say, well, thank you, sir. I will um, stay married to you until, unless you gain 30 pounds and then I might go somewhere else. Until my pleasure is not met in the way that I want pleasure, right? Very, very contractual. The way we see covenant is for most, hopefully, most parents. 
Like, I'm gonna love my kids no matter what they do. Party A is gonna do what party's gonna do. And there's times my kids have done really hurtful things, right? Contract would say, like, this doesn't serve my needs anymore. I don't wanna pick up your puke at 2 a.m. I'm out of here, right? A covenant and what God shows in chapter 30, Deuteronomy, and what Paul's referring to again, as this God is reminding us that we've always belonged. And there's nothing you can do. I'm with you always and everything I have is yours. But here's, here's the, the, the problem of where we can get stuck on salvation is that, at least for me, right? I deduced, I reduced it to a prayer, to getting people to say something and then, they're, and then, then they get saved from this hell, right? They get saved into heaven. Um, and I just want to like, just theologically, we're going like, to get nerdy for just a second. I just want to play that out. If you really believe this, um, because we treat salvation very individual, individually. We have a very individual, indi- help me, Nikki, individualistically. Individual. We are very focused on ourselves when it comes <laughs> to our lives, especially when it comes to spirituality. And we like the idea of being generous. We like the idea of, no, I'm really inclusive. But when it comes to salvation, just think about it this way. Uh, most evangelicals I know attach salvation from being saved from hell. And we're going to play this out a little bit, right? Um, if you really do believe that, salvation um, is going to keep me from hell. And we can define hell in many different ways. For sake of time, we're going to go from one end being um, conscious torment. That God, if you don't say the right words, if you don't say this prayer, um, heaven's gates, hell flames, right? You are going to go down and be burning forever and ever. Then you can go like in the middle, which is C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce. And it is a wonderful book. It is a fictional book. Um, that describes and plays with the idea of hell is a place that you will always get what you want. And the more you want, you're selfish, the more inward focus you become, the more you actually lose your sense of self. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Then we go to the other end, which is annihilation, which um, you don't get conscious torment, but God literally destroys you, right? Like one of my favorite bands, this will des- albums, this will destroy you, right? Um, uh, you, you cease to exist, like your soul, your energy, your physical body, um, every little life particle is God. I, I personally, right, I would say um, that I believe in a God of love and God can't do anything outside of love and none of those things feel like love. But for the sake of the argument, let's just believe, let's say for a moment we believe that. If you really believe that salvation saved you from any three of these things, why would we not spend every waking minute of our lives getting people to say that prayer? Right? Why? Let's take the people that we love and let's take the people that we like. Let's not get to the people that we're supposed to love our enemies. Let's just take that to those two groups of people. Let's say that's like 40 people. If you really believe that someone's going to spend conscious, eternal in torment or cease to exist, why would we not spend every moment trying to get people to say that prayer? Here's why. Because we, we have all different words. Well, we have free will. We, we, salvation is really about I know where I'm at. I miss you already, Steve. Steve, Steve's leaving, right? Salvation is literally um, I, about myself. I know where I'm going in, eternally. I know what I like. I know I find love. I know where I find tolerance. I know where I find what I need to avoid. And when we attach it just to ourselves as individuals, then we feel pretty good. And we can use this word of like, oh, you know, there's, there's consequences for all these things. But really, you're making it just about you. 
And this is the kind of culture. We're in an I culture. We're not in a we culture. Indigenous cultures literally make decisions that impact the next seven generations. If we, if, if we do this to the land, if we make this decision as a community, how will it impact the next seven generations? We, we think, oh, there's climate change? Well, I don't want to lose more money in my retirement, so um, let's just pretend that nothing's happening. And what's going to happen to the next generation? Ah, they'll figure it out, right? When we reduce our spirituality, we reduce our salvation just to as an individual, we're missing the point. Because <laughs> is that what Paul is talking about? Is he tying salvation to just getting into somewhere or avoiding somewhere? And if it's true, then throw the gospel away. Because <laughs> look at the life of Jesus. What did salvation mean to the Christ? When he's standing before the woman who's about to be stoned to death, and Jesus writes something in the ground, and he looks at everyone, and he says, he who has no sin, right, cast the first stone. And what does everyone do? They drop the stones, and Jesus turns, and he looks at this woman, and he says, you must confess that I am Lord, and I want you to believe in your heart. No. What does Jesus say? Go and sin no more. When the kids run to him, and, and this beautiful picture, does he get down on his knees like, all right, kids, confess your name, my name. Believe in your hearts, and then you will be included. No. What does Jesus do? Jesus says, you belong. You matter. Salvation looked like going from a table to a table. Salvation looked like meeting practical needs. Salvation was about restoring people's bodies to what it, to, 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 so that they could move and they could function. To so the woman who went through the, um, the crowd and grabbed Jesus because she, she, couldn't, she did, spent all her money in trying to figure out how she can be included, she grabs Jesus, she's healed, and Jesus turns around and says, did you confess that I am Lord and did you believe in your heart? Right? No, he sees her and he speaks to her and he affirms her. See, this is, to me, salvation is not being rescued from something, being saved from something and so I can go somewhere. To me, salvation is this deep awakening that I belong. And if I belong, then, and I, and I surrender to that deep love, then there's going to be transformation. There's going to be growth. It's like this. I, I watched recently this uh, show on Hulu. Um, it's a play that they ran, I believe, in New York. Um, and it ran it for years. And if you want to watch a play about the gospel, and the word, like, in the Bible is never brought up, I think this, this, is, this is the gospel. It talks about the love and the radical inclusion of the kingdom of God. I watched it, and um, I, Nikki, Nikki's here. I literally, like, sobbed through it. And I won't give it away, um, but here's, here's what hit me. is At the end of this play, this guy goes around to every single person in the audience, and um, he reminds them of who they really are. He literally just tells them that, I see you and you belong. And as it's happening, whew, I'm getting emotional. As it's happening, I, I, I literally stopped and cried for like 15 minutes because, because there's times that I get really insecure about who I am. I get insecure of being a husband, of being a pastor, of being a friend, of being a student right now, um, of being a son, being a brother. And so that when I feel the insecurity, I feel like I, as, like a, as, as a pastor, there's times like, I know I need to, I need to really prove to people that, I, that I'm their pastor. I need to prove to people that I'm worth a paycheck. I need to prove to my wife that, I, that, I, that she can love me. 
I have to prove to my kids that I'm, I'm, I'm really a good dad. I, can, I need to prove to my professors that I really am some sort, like I can, I can read and talk well, right? And it's in those places that I feel like I'm trying to earn something, I'm trying to prove something, that I'm worth belonging. And in that play, what he does, they have all these different, all these different labels. And he's able to speak through it and say, I've known you all, all along. And even before you walked in that door, you belonged. And to me, in the story of Jesus, Jesus on the cross, before, before he dies, there's this guy on one side of him that mocks him and the other guy on the other side of him. What he says, he does not say, you are, I confess that you are Lord. I believe that <laughs> in three days you're gonna rise again. All he says, he goes, Jesus, will you just remember me? I just want to be remembered. I just want to belong. And to me, salvation is like what I saw in that Hulu play. It's, it's in the, the voice of the, of, of the thief just saying, just please can you remember. And Jesus says, I always have. Of course I will remember you in paradise and you're going to be with me. Why? Because you belong. And if Jesus says that about the thief and Jesus says about the kids and Jesus says it about the woman, um, <laughs> the one who grabs him about the woman and he's drawing in the dirt and he says about Lazarus, even when he's dead, he says you belong. Maybe I already belong. And maybe the salvation of surrendering to this deep, deep love and confessing with my mouth that yes, Jesus and God, the highest authority, when I surrender that deep love, I'm surrendering to that belonging. Because now when people say, hey, Chris, like, when did you get saved? When did, I say, yeah, about 2,000 years ago. That Jesus has already done this. And so if I belong, even in my insecurity, if I belong even in all the weird stuff that I can do and even the, the horrible, evil stuff that I can even do, and I still belong, then maybe the person across that table, maybe they belong too. And maybe the person over there, maybe they belong as well. And if they belong, then maybe I can do something about helping them find a meal. Maybe I can do something about giving them an extra buck. Maybe I can do something about sharing a jacket. Maybe I, maybe I can do something to add value to their life because that's what salvation does. It transforms. It does not transform just the individual. That is what the church has been doing far too long. Because what does the early church do? They said they sold everything. They sold everything so that they could help, what? Feed the poor? House the sick? No longer do I want, let's change it. We're a community of people. Now, salvation can be people saying that prayer, absolutely. But what I hope is that when salvation comes, we see transformation in our school boards. We see transformation in our restaurants. We see transformation in our healthcare system. We see the kingdom of God playing out in the streets of where our kids are playing and where we can hang out with our neighbors. It's playing out. <laughs> In the emergency rooms, it's, it's, it's playing out everywhere through our art, through our cooking, through our songs. Because I think there's a lot of people out there who are like that thief saying, will someone remember me? What if we could eradicate that? What if, what if loneliness, right, we treated like an epidemic? What if people in our, <clears throat> what if people in our communities didn't have to wait and hope that someone remembers them. Because we're enough. We have everything we need. God has granted everything we need. And I think it's about time that salvation turns 
to us looking at the people around us and saying, I'll remember you and you belong. So I'm going to pray. So Jesus, we love you. <clears throat> I confess that Jesus, that you are Lord. I say it with my body, I say it with my heart, I say it with my intellect, I say it with my soul, I say it with my creativity and my dreams. And even in this wild mysticism, all of me says, you are Lord. I surrender to that deep love. And I thank you that no matter what label I take, no matter what label I feel like I'm trying to defend, to the people I love, even the people that have hurt me, I still feel like I need to defend something. And even that label where I call you God a thief, I call you a liar. You still say I belong. I thank you that you operate in this deep covenant of love in Deuteronomy 30, no matter where Chris goes, I will find him and I'll bring him back so that he knows that he belongs. And I pray for my friends who are watching or listening on the podcast, where they feel lonely, they feel distant, they feel pain, they feel isolated. They feel like they're in that place of trying to defend that label they're trying to defend. And we just, I pray God that they would experience that deep, deep love. Even now, will you come? Help us surrender that we belong that we're not saved from something, but we are invited into something, to awaken to the reality of that love has always been in here, in us. I pray that we would move in that and that we would extend that to the people around us, that we'd be really, get, really good at working through conflict with our friends, we'd be really good at having apologies that don't have the word but in it, that we'd be really good at sharing our meals Give us eyes to see where this salvation can awaken through our hands, through our feet, through our words. Oh, I love you. Amen. All right, friends. Ooh, that was good. That was good. So I hope, um, two things, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Um, and thank you. Thank you for being in this, in this space with me and that we can talk through salvation. And I deeply, deeply believe in it. And I just wanted to move beyond a name on a card. The second thing is this. I'll see all of you at the business meeting <laughs> at 3 p.m. And we can party. We can party on that business meeting. So peace and love, friends.